Welcome to Tooled Up Education's Researcher of the Month, where Dr. Cathy Weston selects a paper from a notable researcher that will be of interest to parents and school staff everywhere. Dr. Charlotte Markey is a professor of psychology and founding director of the Health Sciences Centre at Rutgers University, where her research focuses on individuals' eating behaviours, body image and health. Her research has garnered widespread media attention. She's been featured in and interviewed by numerous high-profile publications and TV shows, including The New York Times, The Economist, The Today Show, and Time magazine. Her first book, Smart People Don't Diet, was called possibly the best book about weight loss ever written by Scientific American. Dr. Markey has long been involved in community efforts to educate parents and children about eating body image and health. She presents in schools and has served on task forces charged with improving school nutrition programs. Her forthcoming book, The Body Image Book for Girls, Love Yourself and Grow Up Fearless, helps girls aged 9 to 15 to understand, accept and appreciate their bodies. She provides all the facts on puberty, mental health, self-care, why diets are bad news, dealing with social media and everything in between. And welcome, Charlotte. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you. And in my hands, I have a picture, an illustration of the front of a fabulous new book, which we're very excited about called Being You, the Body Image Book for Boys. And it's exciting because we've been promoting the girls' body image book. And now there's a new one, I think, coming out in April next year. Right. April 7th is our publication day. Fantastic. And it's so, the cover of your books are always so beautiful, aren't they? But we're going to be talking about the inside of the book, Charlotte. So <laughs> and on a sort of serious note, this whole issue of body image is incredibly important and I think potentially doesn't get as much weight or chat about it as as it should as a topic. I think we've read in the research that a sort of a third of teenage boys are trying to bulk up due to body dissatisfaction. Boys and men will account for a quarter of all eating disorders, but we also know that body dissatisfaction is a risk factor for eating disorders in all children and young people. So this is a really, really important topic, isn't it? Yeah. And I think you're right that sometimes I feel like people view it as a superficial topic when it's anything but, because of course our body image is how we think and feel about our appearance, but it's really how we think and feel about ourselves. And that impacts everything from how we interact with other people to our mental health more generally. So it really is a complex and pretty broad issue. And even though your book, it's sort of beautifully illustrated, it's something that a teenager can use. You've tried to really empower the child, but why should parents take this issue very seriously? Why should they buy their child that particular book? Well, I think that kids don't always want to talk about all of these issues with their parents or even with their friends or other knowledgeable adults, right? They can be awkward. And I think having evidence-based information for kids is just incredibly important about everything, but especially when it comes to health issues. And so this can be a good segue to having some conversations, but also just having a resource in the house that addresses 
some physical and mental health issues that most kids are going to deal with. Maybe not in serious or detrimental ways, but in some way, these are relevant to our kids. And some of the things that I love about the book is that there are the voices of slightly older boys in the book. And I think, you know, I have two teenage boys myself, you know, I know that they love to hear the voices of other children. And I think it's quite nice to have that little retrospective insight from older boys who are looking back on their teenage. I thought that was quite unique. Yeah, that's one of my favorite things in working on these book projects is that I've interviewed adolescents and young adults who are just sort of past the age that we expect the readers of the book to be. So in their late teens and early 20s. And it's so great to hear them think about like what were formative issues for them? What moment did they first worry about their bodies or how they looked? How have they since coped with those issues? What can they recommend to other people who are five years younger than them? And so even though it's anecdotal, I think it really helps to normalize the concerns that most young people simply have about these issues. So I think it, it makes it more accessible to have the stories. Now, I mentioned that I have boys only, and uh, it's quite amusing because I was reading the book. I was like going, yes, yes, or reading the snippets from it. Yes, that's so true. They look in the mirror and they want to be the biggest and the most muscly and they want to be tall. It's all about athleticism and muscularity. It just seems to be something that's inherent. Yes, I have a teenage son as well. So I get to experience this personally and not just professionally. And it really is somewhat different than how teenage girls think about these issues, right? Girls are mostly concerned with getting smaller or not getting too big. And boys want to be lean, but they want to be muscular. They want to be athletic. All the images that boys see are incredibly unrealistic also. And they've only become more unrealistic across time. Everything from action figures to the actors in action-packed movies um, are really, I think, doing a disservice to our boys and leading them to think that this is you know, a remotely achievable physical ideal. So would you argue that the sort of the over here in Britain, certainly there is a very toxic sort of perfectionistic culture in the media, on social media, in film media. Is that the same in the States? I think it's very similar. And one thing I like to tell young people is that it's important to remember that the people you see in movies or on social media that embody these ideals, that's their job. That's all they're doing right? And and actors will admit this, and I've included a little bit of this in the boys' book, where they'll say, like, you know, before that movie, all I did was go to the gym for eight hours a day and eat this really (laughs) particular diet. And so, yes, it was possible, but at great cost, right? And I wouldn't wish that for my son, and I doubt you would for yours, you know, that kind of a life where it involved having to attend to your physical appearance for that amount of time or that amount of energy, right? I mean, we want our kids using their brains and being helpful to other people and and not just lifting weights all day. And tell me a little bit about myths around body image. You know, why does the book include those sorts of myths? What are they? Give us a few examples as well. Yeah, uh, we have a feature in both the girls and boys book that's myths. And the reason I include them is because I think if you 
have access to the internet as most of us do or are on social media, there's just a lot of misinformation about these topics. And there's a lot of people trying to sell products to help people lose weight or bulk up or you know, change their appearance in some way. And the predominant message that we all get is that in order to be happy or to improve our body image, we have to change how we look physically. And a lot of that's just really based on myth. We have data to suggest that even if you get more muscular, you're not going to be a happier or a different person per se. And so, you know, other myths we try to tackle are things like, you know, whether or not you should eat certain foods or certain foods are detrimental. There's a lot of popular discussion about carbs being bad for you. And so we try to dispel that myth because certainly we all need to eat carbohydrates. It's an important part of all of our diets. You know, the importance of muscularity and the use of supplements or even drugs to help people achieve muscularity is something that I focus on repeatedly in the book because we know that for boys, these are really concerning and serious issues. And I think sometimes it's easy to sort of miss these things in boys. I think our radar is out with teenage girls. We're looking at their diet and if they're talking about being fat, but maybe with boys, some of that interest in that kind of dietary supplements or eating protein powder, I don't know, for breakfast, we sort of miss it potentially. Yeah, I think that's something that became really obvious to me in doing research for this book. I knew it in sort of an intellectual way from reading the literature. But then when I actually talked to boys and I talked with parents and I was digging into more of the personal accounts, it became so obvious that we miss some of this in boys because it looks like what we believe is actually health behavior. So we think, oh, I'm, I'm eating smoothies and I'm putting protein in it. Well, that seems kind of healthy, actually. So should we be upset about that? Or, you know, I'm lifting weights every day now. Again, well, what's wrong with that? And, you know, engagement in some of this behavior is probably fine, but it can become a real slippery slope for young people in particular. And that's why we have to attend to it, right? So if we see weight loss or obsessive or compulsive behaviors and thoughts about these issues, we really want to seek the help of a a health provider and get on top of it quickly. So there are red flags that I think we need to work harder on raising parental knowledge in those areas. So it is about balance, isn't it? It is about just staying attuned to your own child and and listening out for things that don't feel right. And if it's in any way obsessive, it's generally unhealthy, isn't it? Exactly. And all kids are different. And some kids grow up, especially boys, I think, where they're always playing sports and really athletic and they just love it. And it's just a really important part of their identity. And that may be completely healthy and adaptive, that that's just what they really love. But I think when behaviors like that, that could be lovable, look unhealthy because they're being perceived as obligatory by boys. Like I have to do this weightlifting, or it's just really the amount of time dedicated to it detracts from getting enough sleep, finishing homework, being able to engage with peers and friends, or just not seeming happy, right? Like if these things aren't bringing joy, then there's a good chance that they're really not healthy. 
So we're looking for balance, we're looking for happy children, and we're keeping our ears and eyes peeled for anything that doesn't seem quite right. And I think that's just an important parenting point in general. I wanted to dwell for a moment on parental influence over children's body images. I'll just share what I know, which is that we have to be very, very careful what we model. And if that means we look in the mirror being kind to ourselves, you know, I remember the last time we interviewed you, Charlotte, and you talked about this fantastic concept of good enough. And it's always stayed with me, you know, that... (laughs) You know, we have to model, oh, do you know what? I look good enough, you know, (laughs) and be able to, you know, be careful how we speak about our own bodies in front of our own children. I think that's exactly right. And there's a lot that we do in terms of influencing our children on issues of body image, but all issues. A lot of it's explicit, but some of it's very just indirect and through modeling. And I think if we are saying things like, oh, I just ate that, I'm so bad, or I have to go work off that, you know, holiday meal, or these pants look terrible on me. You know, if we're always saying those things in front of our kids, whether they be girls or boys, we're alerting them to think about food in unhealthy ways and how we treat ourselves and think about ourselves in really unhealthy ways. So we really want to avoid that. And you can hear how food becomes either a punishment or a reward rather than a nourishment. Exactly. And I think it's hard. Feeding kids is hard, right? And I think you can't imagine how hard it is until you actually do it. And I still worry about what my kids eat sometimes. They're both teenagers and I still think, oh God, why doesn't he eat any vegetables hardly? And you know, why does she like sweets so much? And, and it doesn't mean that the worry isn't there, but I think how we deal with that or cope with that as a parent is just incredibly important. And oftentimes it may mean not commenting, right? Like it's, if you make it a bigger issue than it is, and you make them self-conscious about what they're eating, then it's going to really change their relationship with food. We don't want our kids having to eat sneakily behind our backs because they're worried that we're going to comment all the time. And, you know, I forget who first said this, it wasn't me. But a colleague of mine said, like, no child likes a food they were forced to eat. And so, you know, forcing what kids eat, forcing them to eat a certain amount, commenting on all of it, it can be really problematic across time. And I think as well, you know, it's the messages that we give them around, we just have to be so sensitive to what we're saying to them. If we draw attention to what they're doing, you might get fat or then we're, again, we're, you know, we're detracting from what I think is normal childhood behavior to, to want a few little sweets or to want the biscuit or to take a biscuit. We just have to be super careful. And it's not the same when our parents were raising us because, of course, our children have access to a vast digital diet as well, mm. which is impacting on their physical diet. Yeah, it's very different. And I think also, I mean, parenting has changed so much since our parents were parenting us. And so we're really dealing with a different context in our families than we were 20 or 30 years ago. But you're exactly right. Too many of these comments can be detrimental. We want our kids to not think about food as a reward, to think of it as nourishment, to enjoy it. It's part of the celebrations. It's a valuable, important, enjoyable part of our day-to-day lives. And we don't want to make it a problem if we can help it. So we really want to to watch out for the sorts of feedback we provide. And of course, that doesn't mean we want to just encourage them to eat whatever. 
but we want to sort of indirectly influence what they eat by having nourishing options in the home, by serving those at meals, by modeling eating nourishing food. And I think saying less instead of saying more is really important. And when it comes to social media, I mean, there's some fascinating research, disturbing research looking at, you know, the amount of social media apps a teenage girl has, for example, and how that might impact on her disordered eating behaviors and thoughts. Is that the same for boys? You know, it's really interesting. I was just over the weekend looking up some of the research on social media because I've been conducting some of my own research as well. And most of the research focuses on girls. There's really only about a handful of studies focusing on young boys. And they don't find, for the most part, anything really different than what we find in the research on girls. Now, we need more research, very clearly. But I think it's interesting that we've turned our attention so much to girls here. And boys are seeing images as well. They're getting influences as well. It's also something we really need to be spending more time on in terms of how to address boys' concerns that evolve as a result of social media use. And I think the sort of the common thread would be digital literacy. We want to promote digital literacy, even in a game of Fortnite, a computer game. You know, the lead character, you know, boys or girls have the capacity to change their character into some sort of enormous superhero online. You know, it's very interesting at those sort of avatars that, you know, they can transform into. And it's easy to imagine how inadequate one feels, you know, when we're sort of inhabiting the digital world as some kind of, you know, other world, you know, some other otherworldly body. Yeah. I mean, I think that the avatars always kind of make me laugh. And in fact, I think it's okay to laugh at them, to make it clear to our kids that this is really unrealistic. And that's an important part of, you know, digital literacy and talking about media literacy is just making it really clear to our kids how unrealistic a lot of this is that this is not what you should be aspiring to look like or to be like. And I think they need to hear that a lot because all of us who engage with the media, which is most of us, nearly all of us, we're influenced. It's hard not to see other people looking a certain way or doing certain things and not want that for ourselves, right? And how do we model the lack of interest in comparisons? Because comparison is the thief of joy, isn't it? But it's difficult even for adults to do. But how do you address that in the book? How do you help boys move away from pure comparison and focus on themselves? Right. I think that's really interesting. We know from research that if you use social media or look at media and your response to it is like, oh, they look great. That's wonderful. I'm happy for them. Right that it doesn't really have a detrimental psychological effect, it seems. But social comparison is what makes it more detrimental. When we look at media and think, oh, I wish I looked like that, or I wish I could be doing that, or they seem to be having more fun than me, Mm -hmm. right? So I think we need to be more explicit here and spend some time maybe with our kids when they get their phones or if they're on their computer and just say, hey, I want to see like, you know, who you follow, scroll down. Right? It doesn't have to be a big thing, but you know, occasionally I'll do this even. I'll say, like, I want to see like who's in your list, you know. And then just you can insert some adult wisdom into their psyches, right? Wow, well, that's really unrealistic. Or, you know, well, you know, you should follow fewer celebrities and more real people. Like, why don't you connect with real people that you know? Like, this is kind of like who is that even? 
And I know from some of the research I've just been working on that we do find among young adolescents that body image doesn't seem to be negatively affected by sort of communication-focused social media use. So if they post a picture or text with a friend using the app, that doesn't seem to be a big problem. It's when they're really involved in sort of celebrity culture and appearance-focused social media. So things like beauty tutorials or, you know, what I eat in a day, or this is the best way to gain, you know, muscle mass the fastest. Mm. These are the sorts of things we want to really be more instructive about. And are there particular periods in boys' puberty that are particularly delicate or vulnerable. So I think with the onset of puberty for girls, it could be quite a difficult period because they put on a little bit of weight naturally, which is meant to happen. But is there something in the boys kind of puberty that is problematic that a particular you could pinpoint? I think boys puberty, most of the research indicates is just not problematic in the same way Mm. because boys keep getting bigger and taller and more masculine looking. And so they be they tend to embody masculine ideals. Now, most, you know, 16-year-old boys are likely to be kind of lanky still. They haven't really filled out yet. And so they may be concerned as they start to grow taller, but they haven't really filled out in any way that they want to be more muscular, right? That's when we start to see that, I think, emerge more. Mm-hmm. But puberty is different for girls and boys in this regard, because girls, as they get post-pubertal, they look less like the beauty ideals they see around them. And boys tend to look more like those ideals. Yes, that's fascinating. And what about teenagers who aren't particularly comfortable in their own bodies and may not feel, might have some sort of feel a little bit confused about their gender or a little bit, you know, confused about their own bodies? How would you sort of respond to that? There's not a ton of research looking at gender dysphoria and these issues, especially among young people in terms of body image. But the research that I am familiar with seems pretty clear. And that is that body image is negatively affected by feeling this discomfort. Mm -hmm. And it improves significantly when people receive treatment for their dysphoria. And for a lot of people, that may be hormone treatment, and for some people, that may mean surgery. But really, I think avoiding treatment is not going to help. So if it's a young adult, they should probably seek out their own care, or if a parent is concerned about how a child feels, then it's not something to be avoided. It's not something that's just going to pass. For the most part, we want professional help. And there are some great, great researchers and clinicians that are, are working on issues of gender and identity. And, you know, this falls a little outside my expertise in terms of what treatments are, but I feel confident that there are professionals that really can make a difference in these people's lives. And we want to make sure that they're getting that care. And I think as parents, our mission is to make sure our own child feels comfortable in themselves and that we do everything we can to promote that sort of internal happiness. Isn't that correct? It is. And I I think as a parent, it's difficult if your child isn't sort of conforming to what is most typical, right? Because as parents, we worry about our kids. We want them to fit in. We don't want them to be stigmatized or to be harassed in any way. And 
you know, my heart goes out to parents who are dealing with kids in any way, whether they have an intellectual disability or they have any other concerns that puts them, you know, outside sort of the, the average child. But of course, all of our children fall outside the average in some way, shape, or form, I think. So it's important to remember that too. But I think that avoiding care is not the way to help. We need to make sure that our kids are happy, that they grow up and they can lead fulfilling lives. What about early messages for parents? I mean, first of all, what age range would you say your books are for? Yeah, I think pre-adolescents and adolescents are the target audience. Perhaps girls, because we know they mature a little bit earlier and they tend to be a little bit more verbal and more interested in books. I would say around eight or nine even isn't too young. And for boys, I would say more around 10 or 11. But you know, I don't think that's when we as parents should start talking about these issues. I think we should start from practically the day they're born, right? Like any important health issue, we want to make the conversation in our households easy and comfortable and and start it young in developmentally appropriate ways. One of the lovely things I read in one of the extracts from the book I love this message to children that there's always going to be people prettier, smarter, taller, thinner, whatever it is. You know, we have to learn to be kind to our own selves and accepting of that diversity in the world and the fact that we'll never reach that ideal. Yeah, I think this is something that as adults we come to accept. But I often think if more of us could accept that point earlier in life, we would have been happier earlier in life, right? If we had come to realize like, guess what? I'm never going to be a tall person, right? Or I'm never going to be that athletic. You know, there are these things I am good at and these things I'm not good at. And that's okay. No one's good at everything. No one looks perfect. And even if you talk to the people we think look perfect, oftentimes they don't feel perfect either. You know, they notice their flaws. Uh, So it really is just sort of this illusion, this perfection we're all striving for that I think doesn't even exist. And what about how other children respond to our children? So if a child, you know, isn't comfortable with their own selves or if they're experiencing bullying, that can be really difficult when they're teased about their body. I think I read some research about teasing around body weight is really quite detrimental to children's mental health. It is. And it's something that even though bullying and other forms of interaction are often addressed in schools, usually body size or body stigmatization is not part of that curriculum. And so I know a lot of activists and researchers who are working to change that, and I'm hopeful it will change in the future. But it does seem to be something that's somewhat socially acceptable to make fun of how people look. And a large part of why people are comfortable making fun of others' appearance is that we have this idea that we can change our appearance. So if you're overweight or if your hair looks bad, that's because you didn't try hard enough to fix those things. And that's an oversimplification of reality, right? Our, our weight is almost as genetically determined as our height, right? And we don't tend to think about our height as changeable. Right. And of course, maybe you can change your hair or your hair color, but still to think that that is someone's responsibility, that they owe it to you to look a certain way is, I think, problematic and not how we want to raise our kids to to see the world. I think it's also very useful for us to 
own up when we have a judgmental thought. You know, if I'm out in the car with my 15-year-old and I say, oh my goodness, I feel like I'm judging someone. I, I felt myself become quite critical, you know, and I've no yeah. right to ever. I think it's useful to do that because we, we want to catch that thought and get rid of it and show them that judgmental thinking is something, you know, we're all plagued with, if we're honest, and we have to teach ourselves not to be judgmental and, we, and teach our children that no one has the right to criticize anyone else's body. I think you're absolutely right. And we also make ourselves more approachable to our children, I think, when we admit when we've done something that's not great, right? The last thing our kids want is to just feel like we're always lecturing at them or nagging them. And it's easy as a parent to find yourself in those roles, but I think we also want to become good at just communicating. And that means saying like, oh God, I did this bad thing today. I shouldn't have said that, or I thought this. And then I really, I'm not proud of myself for that. I hope, you know, younger people are so much better about being open-minded about these things, which actually I think is true in so many cases. The interviews I do with young people are just inspiring because Young people these days are growing up in a different world and they're exposed to so much more because of the internet and they're more open-minded very often. And I just think it's fabulous that they, I think, are more accepting of a variety of things than me and my cohort were growing up. Yeah, they're very open-minded, aren't they? Definitely. So Charlotte, last question about your book. We're all dying to know Daniel Hart and Douglas. Are they illustrators? (laughs) (laughs) Their names are written on the book. Yes. So Dan is and Doug are both co-authors. I took the lead in doing most of the writing. Doug helped with a lot of the interviews for the book. He's younger and has training in psychology and health issues. And I wanted to have someone who is younger and that, that boys could relate to more on, on the writing team. And he's someone I've known a long time. So it was, he would tell me if I was saying something that was just a female misperception of what it's like to grow up male. And, and Dan is a psychologist who's been studying boys, especially, but, but child development, especially adolescence for over 30 years. And wow, similar situation, right? You need, I think if you have a good writing team, you need people who will tell you like, that's wrong. That's not right. You know, and you need people you can ask things, you know, like, do boys really think about sex all the time? Did you do that growing up? And, you know, they'd both be like, oh, well, kind of, you know, or, you know, then they'd give me a, a fuller answer. So, it's fun to write with other people. And, and I definitely would not tackle a book for boys without some smart men. On no, that's team, exciting. It's, it's very exciting to know that you've all come together with all that wisdom and knowledge and brought it together in the book. So tell us, it's available in April. I mean, it's easy to buy your books on Amazon or, you know, online, isn't it? Yes, you can. And we have a web page up for the boys book with some preliminary information and ordering information. And so it's just the body image book for boys.com. And so I encourage people who are interested to check it out. And of course, there's the body image book for girls.com as well with lots of information about the girls book. But if you have one of each, I'm told we might even package them together once they're both out. So if you're if you're shopping for a daughter and a son or a niece and a nephew, we might be able to make that easy on you. But I'm really excited to have the boys book out into the world. It was always our plan to have both. 
And I just think that we really need to increase the conversation about these issues and just mental health, even in general, when it comes to our boys. Well, thank you so much, because we've been waiting, the research team at Tooled Up for this book for ages, because we always, <laughs> we talk about your work in all of our talks, we talk about your book, so we're really delighted. This fills the gap, and we're excited to promote it. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Thanks, Charlotte. Of course, I so appreciate your support. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by Tooled Up Education, the home of evidence-based tips on parenting, family life, and education. www.tooledupeducation.com Parents and teachers in Tooled Up schools can also access notes accompanying each podcast available to read and download from the Tooled Up site.